Welcome to the Harbor Church Podcast. Harbor's here to connect people with Jesus and with each other. If you're looking to get connected, you can find more info at harborchurch.com. Now, here's this week's message from Pastor Josh. Come on, make a little noise. Let me know that you're awake and that you're with me. There you go. You can clap. You can be excited. Man, I'm glad you're here. Thanks for coming out. This might be your first time at church. This might be your first time just at Harbor or any church ever. Man, I'm glad that you're with us. Everybody watching the Overflow Room, thank you for doing that. Um, Anybody that's tuning in right now online, maybe you're watching this on YouTube or listening to this on the podcast, uh, I'm thankful that you're with us. I'm thankful that you're here, and I believe God's got a word for you. My name's Josh. I'm the lead pastor at Harbor Church, and we are into our fifth week of a series that we are calling Travel Plans. And the idea of travel plans is that the God of the universe that created you He knows everything about you, and he knows so much about you that he knows the best path for your life. And this is a spiritual journey that he wants you to go on. And this is a a path where you follow after him and what it is that he has for your life. Now, the problem with us following God's path is that we tend to want to do our own thing first, and then maybe God's thing if it works out, and that's not the best. He knows every hair on your head, which means he knows exactly what you need. We grow up in a world and in a culture, whatever culture you grew up in, we grew up in a world that has trained us to look to what we feel or what we want, but what Christ has called us to is a surrendered life, and we, we really struggle with this. Now, we looked at the story of Abram, who later gets his name changed to Abraham, and how God called him out of Ur of the Chaldees and set him on a path and said, trust me and walk after me, and I'll, I'll reveal to you what, what I have for you. We also see then a story of a guy named Samson who, although he has all this incredible strength, he's led astray off of his path, the path that God had for him by a relationship and romance, and he he messes that up. Then we looked at Hagar, uh, this this young girl who is is in an incredibly tough, difficult spot on her journey, and she has to remember that God sees her and hears her and, and just how God worked through her life. Last week, we looked at Saul. Saul is the kind of guy who takes a lot of baggage on this trip, on this journey that God calls us on. We want to take, much like Saul, we want to take a lot of our insecurities and a lot of our, our just our crap with us. And God, God reminds us, now this is, this is a no bags allowed kind of trip. And he, he helps us let go of some things. Now, this weekend, I want to look at a different guy. I want to look at a guy whose journey... Man, it's, it's, it's a small story, and most people don't really know it, or don't. Maybe some of you may have never even heard it, and it's a small little journey that's tucked away in the Bible, but it reveals, I mean, it reveals a powerful insight into what it looks like to be a person who surrendered to God. We tend to mess this up, but this guy that we're looking at this weekend, his name's Philip, and he gets it right. And he does it right. And man, I think God recorded it, not just because it's a testament to Philip, but it's a, it's a revelation. It's, an, it's, a, it's, a, it's almost a blueprint, I should say, for us and how we can follow after God. Problem is we don't do it very well, and so we struggle. But Philip, this guy who shows up on the scene, and early on in his life, He's, uh, he's just serving in the church, and I'll, I'll come back to that in a minute. But Jesus, this is all taking place in the book of Acts. Jesus has died on the cross and then risen from the dead, and he says to his followers, his disciples, and the people who have been following after him, he said, I want you guys to now go 
and tell everybody about me. Tell them what I did, that I, the life I lived and the things I taught you. And then tell them that I died for them and that I rose from the dead to take away their sins. Go share that good news with them. And he commissions them to go. And Philip is part of that early church. The Bible says that the church starts growing. The church in Jerusalem just adds new believers every day. It's just more and more people and thousands are coming together. But then persecution happens. And Philip is one of the guys that says... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to head out and take the message of Jesus other places. And so he starts preaching. It says he goes to Samaria. And people start following Jesus there. They start listening to Philip talk about, about who Jesus was, and they start getting saved. And then Peter and John come up and join him, and they, they end up like seeing all these people come to know Jesus. But Peter and John head back to Jerusalem, and Philip was going to go with them, except God takes him on a physical journey that ends up paralleling a lot of us, our spiritual journey. And this is where it's found in Acts chapter 8, and we're going to start in verse 26. So you can open your Bibles to Acts 8, and we'll read his story. If you don't have a Bible, you can read on the screens behind me. And if you don't have a Bible, let me just say this. We've got free Bibles for you out at the Connect Corner. Go out and grab one. No questions asked. We just want to get a Bible in your hand. It's incredibly powerful to have the Word of God where you can study it. And if you don't have one, please get one. If you do have one and you didn't bring it, bring it next time uh, so you can follow along with me. But you can read on the screens. We're going to pick up this story in verse 26. And as Peter and John go back to Jerusalem, it says, As for Philip, but Philip's got a different journey. An angel of the Lord said to him, Hey, I want you to go south down the desert road that, reads, that leads from or runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. And he started out, and as he's going, it says he met the treasurer of Ethiopia. This dude has some power and some influence. Luke gives us some more information about him. Luke says he's a eunuch of great authority under the Kandaki, the queen of Ethiopia. The eunuch had gone to Jerusalem to worship. So this guy was a believer of the Jewish God of Yahweh. So he's, he's converted and he's worshiping in Jerusalem. And it says now he was returning, seated in his carriage. He was reading out loud from the book of the prophet Isaiah. And the Holy Spirit says to Philip, hey, psst, go over there, go over there, walk alongside that carriage. So Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the prophet Isaiah, and Philip asked, hey, bro, do you, do you understand? You, you know what you're reading? And the guy looked at him and said, how can I? How can I understand it unless somebody can instruct me, somebody can explain it to me? So he urged Philip to come up and sit in the carriage with him, and, and then Philip did it. It says the passage of Scripture that he had been reading was this. This is what he was reading in Isaiah. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. This is a prophetic thing for the coming Messiah um, who Philip knows was Jesus. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb that is silent before the shears, he didn't even open his mouth. He was humiliated and received no justice. Who can speak of his descendants for his life was taken from this earth? And the eunuch asked Philip, hey, tell me, was the prophet Isaiah talking about himself or was he talking about somebody else. And Philip's like, man, I'm glad you asked that question. Boy, do I got a story to tell you. And it says that 
Beginning with that same scripture, Philip told him the good news. And anytime you see those two words, it also means the gospel of Jesus and what Jesus had done. And as they rode along, they came to some water and the eunuch said, hey, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? So he ordered the carriage to stop and they went down into the water and Philip baptized them. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away the eunuch never saw him again, but went on his way rejoicing. And meanwhile, Philip found himself farther north at the town of Azotus, and he preached the, gospel, the good news, the gospel message there in every town along the way until he came to Caesarea. Now, here's the story of Philip, and maybe you've never heard it before, or maybe you have. Here's what I want us to look at. The physical journey and the things that we can read that actually happened there, how do they relate to us and our spiritual journey? And what it is that God's calling us on and where it is that God has created you to be more of the man or the woman that he designed you to be. Meaning that as, as he created you, he's got a better purpose and a better value for your life than what you can find for yourself. Now, Philip, Philip discovers this and leans into it and he becomes an active disciple. He becomes active in the, in the mission of going everywhere and telling everyone about Jesus. I love this view of him, somebody that's doing something, because here's what I keep coming across. When I meet with you guys, uh, whether it's emails or text messages or one-on-one -on -one counseling situations, even conversations on the patio, I keep hearing a theme of like, I just wish I could do more. I just wish I knew what God wanted from me. I just, I don't feel like I'm really living up to my potential. I'm wondering what does God have for me? How do I know what I'm supposed to do? All these kind of things. And I look at Philip and I see somebody who does what it is that God has called him to. He's very active in his discipleship and his obedience to God. This active piece of Philip's life is something we should all try to emulate. Problem is, we really struggle with each and every one of these steps. I want to break it down. I want to use it as an acronym for you. I don't normally teach this way, but I thought it might help you remember. So let's look at it. Let's start with that A of an active follower, of an active disciple of Christ. What, what is it that we see Philip do that you and I should emulate? Well, look at verse 26. Philip encounters an angel from the Lord who says, go south down the desert road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. And the very next verse says, so he started out. He went, just go. What I see about Philip is first in that A of active is that he's available. He's available. Those of you that have, or maybe you're a sports fan, you've watched the news, you've ever heard Coach Belichick talk about the talent that he wants from his players. Like, what's the best ability? Is it the ability to throw, to tackle, to run, to catch? And Bill Belichick says, and other coaches say the same thing, the best ability is availability. Like, you can be a great athlete. If I can't get you on the field, what good are you? You, you got all this talent, all this, all, this, uh, all, this, all this great skill, but you're never available to be used. And I think that's the problem with most of us when it comes to our faith. Real quiet in here right now. You're not available. God can't come up to you and say, hey, I need you to go down this road. You're like, oh, let me, God, not right now. <laughs> let me look at my calendar. Can, could you... God, I could squeeze that in three Saturdays from now between 2 and 4 p.m. And God's like, yeah, no, I want you to go right now. See, 
I didn't tell you, but there's a guy that needs to meet you because he really needs to meet me. And since you know me, I'm going to have you bump into him if you go right now. And see, you and I were like, well, I'm not really available. If maybe you could schedule it later. And we give God all of our excuses because we have maximized what we need. We have no margin. We have no room for God to work in our lives because our schedule is so full. Our, our timeline is so maxed out. We are not available to God. We don't just go. We struggle. Do you know what I don't see Stephen do? I don't, I don't see Stephen start whining. You're not really available if it's, oh, yeah, I go right now. That road, that road looks so bumpy. That's the wrong direction, God. You understand what I want? And we start to whine and complain about the path that God has for us. Pastor, that's not true. I'm, I'm always available. Bull crap. You don't even come to church when it gets cold out. <laughs> like, well, the skiing's really good this day. Yeah, I, you're not available for half of the easy stuff, let alone for the call to take a big step. The call that God will, that will put on your heart to walk after him many times will be inconvenient. And so our availability drastically diminishes as soon as it starts to pull us out of our comfort zone. And we start to tell God, well, maybe. You know what I also don't see him do? I don't see him negotiate with God. All right, God, um, well, here's the thing. I just need some more money. So if you can make my boss give me some money, then I can go on that trip and do what you call me to do. <laughs> I'll do it. Dear God, if you could do this and I do this and then we move this and we just, then I'll do it. I don't see him negotiate. He doesn't argue with God. Can I take a different road? Can I go at a different time? You know what I also don't see him do? Is I don't see him demand a partner. Any company. See, you and I, we have lived in a culture of comfort for so long that if other people don't agree with us and don't go along with us, we, we all of a sudden don't feel like we can do it. I need support. I need people with me. See, this is what it says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 2. Preach the word of God. Be prepared when the time is favorable or not. Whether it, it's comfortable or it's not comfortable. Whether you're in the mood or you're not in the mood. Whether it's been a good day or a bad day. Whether everybody treated you nice or nobody treated you nice. Be ready. Be willing. Well, but he still had to go alone. Well, Galatians 2 says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but what? Christ who lives in me. That's, that's what I've got. So I, I live in this earthly body by trusting the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The old me's dead. The new me has Christ in me. Some of you don't understand what I'm preaching. 
See, when you say, oh, God's calling me to go that, but he's calling me to go it alone. No, he's not. If you have Jesus Christ and you have the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the King of kings, the creator of the universe living inside of you, that's all the posse you need. That's all the entourage you need. If it scares you and you're like, what am I doing? I'm going alone. You're not going alone. You're going with the most powerful friend you could ever have. Like, I could roll. You don't have to be so afraid. You're never going it alone if you have Jesus Christ. That's the cool thing about this. And Philip recognized it. He's like, whatever you got for me, God, you're with me, so I'll go. And he rolled out. He was available. But you know what else I see? You look at verse 30 and 31. Philip ran over and heard the man reading from the the prophet Isaiah. And Philip asked, hey, do you understand what you're reading, bud? The guy says, of course I don't understand. I need somebody to help me. And And Philip gets up in the carriage and rides along with him and sits with him. See, this Ethiopian eunuch would not have been super well received by the Jewish culture. Being an Ethiopian, he was a different skin color. Being the eunuch, he would have been in a place of power and prestige, which would have made him a social class above Philip. Even though he had converted to Judaism, he would have been considered a God-fearer, which means he could never really be a full Jew. Because he was castrated, which was something that the royal families of the day would do to protect their, their bloodline, any man that worked in a position of power um, could be made into a eunuch so that it would protect them. And this guy had that forced upon him, but because that was done to him, He wouldn't have been able, even though he went to Jerusalem to worship, he wouldn't have been able to go into all the inner layers. He would have to stay in the outermost layer with the Gentiles. Even though he he had followed after God and and converted to believe the the, the same uh, laws and systems, even if he kept all the rules, he never would have been able to be fully accepted. See, what I love about this, to my knowledge, this is the first known recording of of a black man following after Jesus, coming to know faith. First time of an Ethiopian from an outside perspective. First time for a God-fearer. This is all uh, post-Jesus ascending that we have recorded. It all happened because not only was Philip available, he also had compassion. See, the sea of being an active follower of Christ, actively walking on this path, is that you have compassion. Now, what I love about this weekend is we are, in all five of our services, we are gonna be uh, honoring and commissioning a group of people going out from Harbor uh, to Guatemala. We have a missions trip going down to Guatemala uh, in a couple of days. These people are gonna be heading out, so we're gonna be praying over them this weekend and commissioning them in all of our services. And so if you're part of that trip and you're going to Guatemala, I hope that you... Land there, you're, you're going because you made yourself available, so you already got the A part of it, but you're showing up with compassion, I hope. I hope with compassion. I hope you're looking at every person that you run into with the eyes that Jesus sees them. See, other people would have looked at this eunuch and said, yeah, this isn't a good fit. Philip, a Greco-Roman follower of Christ, probably not gonna mix well with this Ethiopian eunuch guy. They're just on two different levels in too many different ways. And Philip says, man, all are welcome in Jesus' family. Come on. 
And he had compassion to look at him that way. Now, those of you that are like, well, I'm not going to Guatemala. Yeah, it's still your mission too. Tomorrow, you're supposed to look at everybody that you run into. Wake up and look at your mom and your dad or your brother and your sister or your husband or your wife or your kids or the kids on the bus or the guy at the cu- in the cubicle across from you. You have to look at them with the eyes that Jesus had and have a compassion that says, man, I I care about what that person needs. This is what the Bible says in Romans chapter 13, verse eight. Oh, nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. What's my obligation? To make myself happy? No, my obligation is to love the other people. See, the world that we live in right now, culture says you look out for you. What'll make you happy? What'll make you feel good? What, what do you need right now for you? And see, all of that selfishness has taught us to only look inward. When what Christ demonstrated for us was, here's how we act outward. What what can I do to bless that person? What can I do to bless him? How can I show her love? How can I meet one of their needs? It's easy for me to go through all the day going, what do I need? What do I want? What would make me happy? When was the last time you asked yourself, what would make them happy? Seriously, you want to know how your marriage will be better? Stop thinking about what would make you happy if they would change and just start saying, what can I change to make them happy? Almost like God would put two people together to serve one another instead of take from one another. Parents, you can do this with your kids. Kids, you can do this with your parents. And I say kids, I mean 70-year-olds, if your parents are still alive, do that. Like, you're still their kid. You can learn to love and have compassion for them, he said to a quiet room. Colossians, Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 Since God chose you to be holy people he loves, you have to go on this journey clothed with the right attire. You have to clothe yourself with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Those are the clothes you pack for this trip. That's what you're supposed to be wearing. You go to the wrong place with the wrong clothes, man, you're going to be miserable. You pack for the cold and get a big winter jacket and then show up in the tropics, or vice versa. You bring some Bermuda shorts and show up in Iceland, you know. You're not packed the right way. You did not dress appropriately. Now, some of y'all are wondering why your walk with God isn't that active. It's because compassion is not part of your lifestyle. You are not dressed appropriately for the life that God has called you to live. And so you're wondering why, why am I bitter? Why do people resist being around me? Why is it that I can't make good friends? Why is it that I don't feel the peace of God in my life? Because you're not tenderhearted, filled with mercy and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. The next verse says, make allowance for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. I could preach all day on that one. Some Facebook warriors in here. I will go. You're all caps not forgiving. Let's just be honest. If forgive anyone who offends you. Remember that the Lord forgave you so that you forgive others. See, when it talks about compassion, what it's talking about is what Galatians chapter 6 is, is saying. It says, bear one another's burdens. That's how we fulfill the law of Christ, to bear somebody else's burden. When was the last time you carried on you somebody else's struggle. You want to be a good son or a good daughter? 
Bear your parents' burdens. They may not want you to, but if you're old enough to understand this message, take on some responsibility. You want to be a good boyfriend or a good girlfriend? You want to be a good father or a good mother, a good husband, a good wife, a good boss or a good employee? God says, look for and bear the burdens of other people. Not, not that you have to save them, but you're walking through life with them saying, hey, how can, I, how can I go alongside you and help care for you during this, through this time? If we're on a journey together and that bag is dragging you, I'll come along and help pick up one side of it. Let's go. And you all try to carry your cooler through the sand and the Cape Cod beaches. If somebody help a brother out, just come take that other handle. We will be so much better. Just somebody carry the burden alongside me. Now all of a sudden my trip can continue on. You understand what I'm saying? Some of y'all act like you never took a cooler to the beach before. Whatever. All right. Loaded down with all that water. Um, it's the compassion that he has. But you know what else I see? I see that he gets up there and he starts to teach this eunuch God's word. How does he know the prophet Isaiah? How did he know it was from Isaiah? How did he know what Isaiah was talking about? Almost like our boy Philip had been taught himself so that he could then teach others. So if you want to be an active follower of God, if you want to be an active participant in what God's calling you to do, a, a disciple, then you better be teachable. He's going to want you to teach others, and if you want to teach others, you need to be teachable. Teachable means that you have the humility to learn other ways to do it. See, what you might not know about Philip, if you go back a couple chapters, the apostles are preaching and the church is growing, and, and I mean, like they are preaching all the time. They're just preaching and praying and preaching. And as the church is growing, they're trying to take care of the needs in the community. And the church members start to fight because these people, their, their widows are not getting the food or their orphans are getting the food. And they're like, why are we not getting these people food? And these people are getting it. And they said, man, we, they're like, the, the apostles said, we're so busy preaching and trying to teach. They're like, we need somebody to, we need some people inside the church to step up and serve the community. And so it says they, they prayed on and called out deacons. And Philip was one of the first deacons. Another guy named Stephen was also one, but Stephen just got martyred right before this. But you see Stephen and Philip, amongst a few other guys, get called out to just serve inside their church, helping get food to the widows. Now I see Philip leading somebody to the Lord. I see Philip preaching and praising God and teaching people about Jesus. But long before that happens, if you go back, he's just serving in his church. He was teachable. He was usable. He said, God, whatever you got for me. So you don't, you don't always have to start out at the level that you think you got to be at. Sometimes you say, God, what do you got? And, and you, just, you just receive. This is what the Bible talks about in Proverbs chapter 22, or 23, I'm sorry, verse 12. Commit yourself to instruction. Be the kind of person who can receive training. When's the last time you let somebody teach you something? I remember being in my 20s and I thought, literally, I know everything. And then I got to 30, and I was like, now I definitely know I, I know everything. And every time you get a little bit older, you go, wow, I know nothing. And if you don't agree with what I just said, you're still stupid. <laughs> Commit yourself to instruction and listen carefully to the words of knowledge. Let somebody pour into you. See, there, uh, a, a pastor friend of mine, a guy named Matt Keller, he pastors down in Florida, great guy. He wrote this book, The Key to Everything. Um, and basically, the key to everything, to unlock all the stuff that is that you're looking for, it's, it comes back to teachability. 
I'd highly recommend this book, especially for those of you that think you've learned everything. Um, it's, it's a great book, uh, and, and it reminds us to be teachable. This is what Psalms is instructing us. If you, if you read what the psalmist said in chapter 86, teach me, Lord, teach me your ways that I might live according to your truth. I need to be teachable. The more I do this and the more I try to go on this path that God's called me on, the more opportunities he gives me to pour into somebody else's life. I can't pour out what hasn't been poured in. So I owe it to my kids, to my wife, to my friends. As your pastor, I owe it to my congregation. I owe it to the people that God might have me pour into to also get poured into myself. I can't pour out what's not poured in. So I have to go find mentors and coaches and people that I'm like, that are smarter than me and have been ahead of me and people that love me enough to push me to be more of the man that God's called me to be, even when I don't want that. I need that. And so I have these people pouring into me so that I might maybe just be at a place where I could help pour into somebody else. We call this mentoring here at Harbor Church. The reason I bring that up is for a few years behind the scenes, I've been trying to develop a mentoring program at Harbor. Um, and for a few years now, I would take a handful of guys and we would just end, we, we would do a, a one year mentoring, mentorship where we would get together and every month we would read a book and we'd talk about how that book affected us and what it was God was teaching us and we would hold each other accountable and we'd study Bible verses and we would, we would just share and, and, and find a level of vulnerability where we could also uh, have some, some of that accountability. And it's been one of the most fruitful, successful is a weird word, but it's been one of the best things for our church in developing disciples and leaders. And I see this is what Jesus did with his followers. He, he says, hey, let's do life together. Let's do community together. We did that behind the scenes to kind of work out the bugs and to figure out some of the what, what we wanted to make that program happen. So we opened it up to our church for the very first time just a, just a couple months ago. We are gonna do another round in starting in 2024. Some of you need to get mentored. You need to have somebody pouring into you. This is an incredibly important step in your journey to follow after God. To have, we have women who are going to be mentoring women. We have men who are going to be mentoring men. Um, and we've, we've got it to a place where I think it's, it's a pretty well-oiled machine. Obviously, we're going to keep tweaking it. But man, what a great opportunity to do community and do life and have somebody pour into you. Here's the thing. Some of you are like, yeah, I'll think about it. Well, the applications close next week. The uh, mentoring year kicks off in 2024, and what's going to happen is you're going to get to January and February, and you're going to be like, man, I wish, I wish I was in one of those groups. I wish I was doing that. I wish I was getting poured into, and then you're going you're gonna to be too late to the ball. So if you are interested, the application process is, has been going on now for a couple months, um, and you can still get in it. If you go online, you can, you can get in there. And I would highly recommend it. Now, some of you may not be ready for that. You're like, I'm not ready for a year commitment to have somebody pour into me to really grow in my faith. I'm not there. Yeah, just join a community group uh, or one of our connect groups, find some community that way, or join one of our growth groups and start getting some training that way. And then maybe a year or two from now, you'd be ready for a mentor. But I would highly recommend getting, doing life with other people and going on a journey where you have somebody pour into you. And that should be the rest of your life. I hope for the rest of my life, I have pastors and people who love me enough to pour into me. And I will, I'm praying I'll have the humility to be teachable so that I can then hopefully teach 
anybody else who God might put in my path. And I see this in, in Philip. I see this as a, a regular part of who he is. This is what 2 Timothy 2.2 2 is talking about. Paul writes a letter to his protege, Timothy, and he says this in chapter 2, verse 2. You've heard me teach, Tim, you've heard, I don't know if you call him Tim. Timmy, what's up? You've heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many other witnesses. The things I taught you, now you teach those truths to some other trustworthy people and you teach them to pass those on to others. Do you see what he's saying? I, Paul, taught you, Timothy, you, Timothy, teach these guys and you teach these guys to teach these guys, but teach them to keep passing it on. Almost like God had a plan where the gospel never goes away and that it just keeps going on and on and on through the centuries. And that's how you and I are here still being fed, still having people pour into it. It's a cycle that's supposed to continue. Don't let it end with you. Some of you, all of you, I should say this. If you have Jesus Christ, God is not done with you and your experiences, your, your testimony, your story should be passed on. Help other people learn from what you've learned. Continue to learn and grow with God and then be willing to pour it into the next generation or into other people around you. I've mentored guys older than me and younger than me and I've had guys younger than me and older than me mentor me. If somebody has learned something I haven't learned, please teach me. Have the kind of attitude that says, man, I just wanna learn, I just wanna keep growing. Now, <clears throat> I see him not only be teachable, but I see him do something that a lot of us won't do. He gets up on the, he gets up on there in the carriage and he listens and he's riding along. And it says, uh, it says that he asked him a question. Hey, um, this is in, in verse 35. He says, hey, who, who is he talking about? And, and Philip goes, all right, let me use that same scripture. I'm gonna tell you the good news about Jesus. He looked at the guy's question and instead of getting... Like, well, let me talk about Isaiah and how he wrote. And let me talk about, like, you know what the Romans are doing to us today? Have you watched, have you watched the news lately? The Romans are such jerks. We need to vote for new people. They didn't get to vote back then. Uh, he, he could have spun it into a thousand different hobby horses. He could have gone a million different ways. But you know what an active disciple does? They make sure that they're very intentional with the gospel. He doesn't get distracted by all the things that he could have talked about and all the things it could have done. He said, this is my opportunity to make sure this, this eunuch hears about Jesus Christ who sets him free. So you and I are not intentional. We, we know we're supposed to tell people about God, but we chicken out. Well, they may not like it. <laughs> what if they say no? What if I screw it up and I don't say the right thing? Well, one, get taught, get poured into. But two, you don't even... You make all these excuses for why you don't share the one thing they need most. You're encountering people who have been poisoned with the sin that will separate them for eternity from God, and you have the antidote, which is Jesus Christ, and you're doing this with it. Well, what if they don't like me? Well, what if I tell them about, about Jesus wrong? Well, what if, they don't, what if they don't want it? That's all on them. You not being willing to share it, that's all on you. How can you look at somebody who is, who is distant from God because of the sin in their life and you know that Jesus Christ laid his life down to take away their sin and you're letting them just sit there with all that sin and you're like, oh, I'm going to help. How selfish of you. You can say you're scared. You can say you're worried that you'll do it wrong. You can feign some other excuse. But what it comes down to is that you're not being intentional with the time that God's given you to share 
the story of who Jesus Christ is. Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You know who said that? This is Jesus and his final words to all of his followers. Just a couple chapters before what we're talking about, Jesus is getting ready to ascend to heaven. He says, hey, I'm sending the Holy Spirit. You guys, when, you, when he comes upon you, you're, I want you to all be my witnesses. Go be ambassadors everywhere, telling everybody everywhere in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth or the ends of the earth. You know what I found was really cool in studying this? In the Greco-Roman world, do you know what they called Ethiopia? The end of the earth. Ethiopia was just, just south of Egypt, and uh, it was its own empire. Uh, your Old Testament called it the land of Cush, and uh, it, was, it was the end of the known civilized world. And God just happened to send him somebody from the end of the world. Might be a coincidence, I don't think it is. The command is to be intentional with the gospel. Not scared, not making excuses. Every single one of you have a neighbor or a coworker or a family member, somebody that you have some type of influence in their life and they desperately need Jesus and you're not intentional about sharing it. That is one of the hardest parts of being an active disciple. But Philip got it. You know what Philip also understood? That it wouldn't be easy. It wouldn't be easy. 1 Peter 3.15 says, instead you have to worship Christ as the Lord of your life. And if somebody asks you about your hope as a believer, always be ready, always be ready, always be ready to explain it. Be ready, here we go, it's not gonna be easy. It's not gonna be comfortable, but you have a responsibility to be ready. Well, I'm not. You don't have to be a pastor, you don't have to be a missionary. You're a follower of Jesus, which means you have a testimony. If you claim Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, which maybe some of you haven't, there's, there's probably some of you here, you've never embraced Jesus Christ. I hope you do. This most single most important decision you'll ever make is to invite Jesus Christ to be your Lord and Savior to surrender your life to him. If you've done that, then you have a testimony, a story to tell. You don't need me. You don't need a seminary degree. You don't need a background and tens of thousands of verses that you've memorized. You need to be willing to intentionally go share your story. Now, I see that this was outside of the norm for how Philip had been operating. Philip had been operating like, let's go preach in the temples. People come ask, story, ask questions. We'll tell them about Jesus. We'll pray. We'll have a church service, right? Isn't this the norm? Come in. We sing. Somebody preaches. Oh, down we pray. We almost kind of get into a routine, which is why I like to shake things up sometimes. But those of you that grew up in other religions or other denominations, I kneel, I stand, I sit, I say, I stand, and I do, I do, I go. It's my thing. Did it. And that's how we think God operates, is in this very cookie-cutter mentality. And yet, God's like, hey, just walk down this dirt road, and then jump on a carriage, and then listen to a guy ask questions, and then answer them, and lead him to Jesus. <sighs> I don't do outside the norm. Here's something you need to learn. If you really want to be active, it will always come at your comfort. It'll come at the expense of your comfort zone. So if you're going to actively be a disciple and follow after him and take, learn, from, learn from Philip, then you need to learn all the things we're talking about. Be available and, and, and be compassionate and be teachable and be intentional, but also be versatile. 
meaning learn some flexibility to your following God or else you're never going to actually amount to anything because it will never be in a comfortable zone for very long if you're following after God. You don't grow in your comfort zone. And if you don't learn to adapt to discomfort, if you don't learn how to work through some of these setbacks, you're gonna really struggle to have an impact. Because we have, we have been raised in such a comfort zone, especially as Americans, in this culture, we've been raised that everything has to go our way. And we have to be, we have to have, like, if, God forbid anything mildly inconveniences us. Those of you who are going to Guatemala, I'm happy for you. The last time I went to Guatemala, they told me, oh, don't worry, you'll stay in an air-conditioned hotel room. The place I stayed was a motel called the Tropicool. <laughs> it was not cool. There was no air conditioning. It was about 800 degrees, and our, my bed was a mat that's about this thick that laid on the ground, on the concrete ground, and we all just laid there. And if you put on clean clothes, two minutes later, they'd be dripping wet with sweat. And if I, if I had gone going, I will serve God, but I need it to be with this kind of food and these kind of bathrooms and this kind of air conditioning, and like, your comfort is not part of it. Learn to be flexible. Learn to, by the way, I looked at the, I looked at the weather next week. It's freaking 75 degrees every day. I don't feel bad for any of you going to Guatemala, <laughs> suffering for Jesus. Um, <laughs> You're going to have to learn, okay, I, I, I'm going to have to get outside of what feels good to me. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 22 says, when I am with those who are weak, I share in their weakness. And this is Paul talking. I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I do everything to spread the good news and share in its blessing. Another, the version I memorized it is, I become all things to all men that I might reach some. I'm going to be flexible and learn that maybe this person just needs me to sit down next to him and shut up and be a shoulder to cry on for a while. And maybe this person over here needs to have an intellectual breakdown of some of the, the, the study of the word and we need to have a back and forth discussion. Maybe this person just needs to see the love of Christ. Maybe I just need to serve them physically. Let me mow their yard or something. I don't know. There's, there's more ways than what I think. And if I got to have it Josh's way, some of you are like, you know what? I'm just gonna... I'm going to tell them, you should come to my church, and, and then I hope they say, I really want Jesus, and I'll be like, good for you, and then they get saved, and I'm like, yay, I did it. It won't happen like that. It just won't. 99.999% of the time, that won't happen. You might, have to, you might have to answer a tough question or have a really uncomfortable conversation or sit down and pray through some really heavy stuff but your, your job is to say, okay, what can I do to love this person the way Jesus would and walk them to a place where they see the love of Christ? Hebrews 13, 6, don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. It might be a sacrifice of your time, of your patience, of your plans, of your preference, but it's, that's what pleases God when you start caring for the people in need. Here's the thing I want to end on, though. I want to end on something cool that I noticed in this story. If you look back at, at our boy, Philip, it says the Bible told him, or the Lord told him, hey, go up there and, 
and walk over beside that carriage in verse 29. It says, go walk beside the carriage. And it says, Philip ran. He ran over to the carriage. I don't know if you understand. Carriage back then means it was being pulled by a horse, maybe multiple horses. And horsepower is faster than manpower. So that thing was going along. He had to get after it. Now, here's how you and I would have gotten after it. Hey, go share the, go share the Lord with that guy. Oh, no. <laughs> Same way you act when the bill comes at dinner and you're hoping the other person pays for it. You're like, yeah, let me, uh, let me get that. Oh, no, no. Oh, no. <laughs> Next time. <laughs> Be me to it. <laughs> we're intentionally slow a lot of times when it comes to what God's called us to. Probably because we're nervous or we're lazy or we're scared or we're selfish. Here's what I see about somebody who's really active. They have to be eager to serve. They have to have the eagerness, the excitement, the enthusiasm to say, God, whatever you've given me, I don't know how much time you've given me, but I'll do it. Look what the Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 11. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord with what? Enthusiasm and serve him enthusiastically. Have have some, some urgency to you. Be excited to do what it is that God's called you to do. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, for God says, at just the right time I heard you, on the day of salvation I helped you. Indeed, the right time is right now. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day. Whether you're going to Guatemala in a couple days or you're getting out of bed tomorrow and you bump into a barista at Dunkin'. Today is the day of salvation. Right now, I, it's not, see, a lot of us, we have this one day I'll do it, one day they'll hear it. Some of you don't know and don't follow Jesus and you think, well, on my deathbed, years from now, I'll make a decision. You don't know that you're going to have tomorrow. I, I'm being honest, I was, I was supposed to go visit somebody today. They didn't make it. I didn't, they passed before I even got to go see him. You don't know that you have tomorrow. You don't know that that person that you work with or that family member that you're kind of avoiding talking to or that neighbor who borrowed your rake and now you really need it back. You don't know how much more time you have or how many more opportunities they're going to have to find Jesus and God is putting it on you. Hey, run up along that carriage and you either going to run or you're going to walk and miss your opportunity and be like, oh, next time. You don't know that there's a next time. John 9, 4 says, we must quickly carry out the tasks assigned to us by the one who sent us. This is Jesus telling his disciples, John recorded it in chapter nine, verse four, the night is coming and then no one can work. Jesus said, hey, the night's coming. Nobody can work once that happens. The Lord's gonna return. You don't know when he's coming back. It could be right now. We don't know when we are going to run out of time. So there is an urgency and I don't want, I don't like, urge, I, I like urgency, but urgency f sounds negative. I like eagerness. 
I like the fact that I get to tell somebody about a Jesus who sets them free. I don't have to tell my neighbor that God loves them. I don't have to witness to my, my uncle who, who, who's kind of weird. I don't have to tolerate a boss and invite him to church. I get to be the ambassador for Jesus Christ. I get to shine a light in the darkness. I'm excited to do that. I thought I'd end with this verse because it comes out of Isaiah. And since Philip led the eunuch to the Lord from a chapter in Isaiah, I thought we could look at what Isaiah said. Now, this is a prophet thousands and thousands of years ago telling his people, hey, God's got something for you. And he says this. He says, seek the Lord right now. Seek the Lord while you can still find him. Call on him while he's still near. Like you, you have an opportunity right now to do what you should do. And I can't promise you that you'll have that opportunity tomorrow. That's true for you and I, those of us who are believers to say, God, use me. It's true for you who are here and you're like, I don't know if I believe in God. Today is a day of salvation. Do it while you can because you may not get a chance tomorrow. I, I don't know. And when I think about some of the people I work with, some of the people that's in my family, it motivates me to not kick my feet up and say, oh, one day. No, now. Now. I'm glad we go on missions trips. I'm glad we have outreach events. But I don't want to put a couple spots on the calendar as the only times that I'm going to get excited about telling somebody about Jesus. You don't have to wait till they come for the Christmas tree giveaway. You don't have to wait till they sit down at your table in a couple weeks for Thanksgiving dinner. Call them now. We get out of here. Send them a text. Go grab breakfast with them in the morning. Do whatever you can to make a connection and, and to give them the thing that sets them free as soon as you can. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to bow your head and close your eyes, and I want to pray over you. But I want to ask you a question first, and I don't want anybody to look around. So just close your eyes and bow your head and give everybody the respect and the privacy that I'm asking them to give you. In the quiet of this moment, would you be honest enough to say, I, I'm here and I don't know that I have that relationship with Jesus that you're talking about, Pastor Josh. If I'm honest, I don't know that I have Jesus Christ in my life like you've been describing. I, I don't have a time where I truly invited Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I don't have a, a time where I, I really surrendered and invited him in. I, I want to know that he's my Lord. I want to have forgiveness. I, I want to know that I can go to heaven, but I don't have it right now. Can, can you pray for me? Without looking around, I just want you to, to raise your hand and say, that's me. I don't have it, but I want it. I want Jesus Christ. I want a relationship with him. I want to know him as my Lord and Savior. I want it to be real. I want to have forgiveness, and I want to know that I can go to heaven one day when I die. Pray for me. You just slip it up and put it right back down. I already saw several hands. Many hands. That's me. I don't have Jesus, but I want him. Pray for me. Now, those of you that just raised your hand and some of you who shouldn't, should have raised your hand, but you didn't, maybe you're too scared, maybe you didn't know what was going to happen, here's what I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to do. If you don't know Jesus, would you just look at me right now? If you raised your hand or if you should have raised your hand, would you just make eye contact with me?
Would you look at me right now and tell me, show, show me, show me. You're like, okay, there it is. If you want Jesus, then in this moment, as I pray out loud, why don't you pray quietly in your heart and say, God, forgive me. The Bible says that if you ask for forgiveness for him to take away your sins, he will. If you need Jesus Christ, I will pray for you, but I can't invite him into your heart. Only you can do that. So right there, right where you're sitting, you just say, God, forgive me. Lord, will you take my sins away? I believe that you died to take my sins away. And if you, if you right now, right where you're sitting, if you'll pray that, the Bible says he'll forgive you. If you put your faith in him, he'll save you. If you trust him to be your Lord, to call the shots, to sit in the driver's seat, then what he'll, what he'll do is not only will you have the Holy Spirit come and fill your life, but one day when you die, you can know for sure that you're going to spend eternity with him in heaven because you've embraced him here on this earth. So right where you are, just go ahead and pray that. And everybody else that's listening to this, everybody else that's under the sound of my voice right now, would you just pray as, as these people who said that they want to walk with God, then you're somebody who says, I'm already walking with God. Then while they're praying, why don't you just simply God, say, God, how can I be more active? Which one of those letters am I missing? God, where could I do more for you? Where could I be more surrendered? How, how God, could you use me? God, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. I'm willing. Send me. Wherever you've got for me to go, send me. I'm ready. Hear, hear me. Have that kind of heart. As I pray out loud, you pray quietly. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, we come before you. Lord, we ask that you would help us. God, for those people that raised their hand and maybe even some of the ones who didn't but should have. God, I pray that right now they would find that courage and that wisdom to just open their heart and to trust you. God, you said if we would just ask for forgiveness that you would freely take away every sin. God, that you already paid for it. So, so Lord, all we have to do is trust you and that you would forgive us and you would save us. So God, I pray for the men and women who raised their hand that right now they would do that, that they would embrace you. God, I pray that each and every one of us in this room would find a way to look more like Jesus walking out of here than how we came in. And Lord, I know that you've called us to be active participants on this journey. I know that you've called us to surrender to you, to be faithful to you, to, to let you guide our steps. But Lord, we struggle. And if, if I'm honest, if we're honest, we get scared, we get selfish, we get distracted. There's a thousand reasons why we don't do what we're supposed to. But right now in this moment, we say we're we're sorry, God, we confess that we need you and we ask for your help. Lord, wherever you want us to go, send us. We, we, we want to be available. We want to respond. Lord, send us to wherever it is you have for us to go. Call us and we will say yes. God, we, we, we give you our lives. We give you access to our hearts. We, God, we lay down our time, our talent, our treasure, and our testimony at your feet. Use, use it however you want. We're, we're, not, we're not holding back anymore. God, would you please work in our families and in our neighborhoods and our communities and our, the lives of the people we love. And Lord, would you use us to bring light into this darkness? Lord, we pray this, we ask this, and we believe this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. If you'd like to support the ministries of Harbor as we bring the hope of Jesus to our community and around the world, you can visit harborchurch.com give or text any amount to 84321. Thanks for listening. See you next week.